Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Hi, and welcome to episode 18 of the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Phil, tell us a little bit about today's interview. Yeah, I was able to have a great conversation with Andy Lehman of Life Song for Orphans. He's our vice president. Um, He's also become a really good friend of mine, a collaborator in a lot of different things, one of which was uh, he was a um, co-author with me on In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence and talking about what Life Song is doing in Ethiopia and education, as well as uh, some of the work they're doing in Zambia and Honduras. And so... um, This interview, he talks about a lot of different things and a lot of ways uh, that he has learned about the work that we're all doing through the work that Lifesong is doing. And so I look forward to um, hearing it again, actually, because I I, I listen to these podcasts right alongside you guys and I learned something new when I hear it than when I was doing the interview. And so I have no doubt that will happen again here. So I I really do uh, look forward to not only um, hearing from people just through conversations about what they're learning, but also I wanna definitely get to know uh, each and every one of you out there to the extent possible through comments and through questions and through you know your reviews and just different feedback. So I invite you to do that on iTunes or on um, our website, thinkorphan.com. There's ways you can email us and otherwise contact us. I agree. I'm excited about this interview. Uh, our family actually partnered with Lifesong for Orphans uh, during our adoption process. Um, they were able to help um, with the funding part. We were able to send people to Lifesong uh, if they wanted to donate to our adoption. And, and it was just such a peace of mind for us. So I'm very excited to hear more from Andy. Well, Andy, it's great to have you here today with us on the Think Orphan Podcast. Oh, it's great to be with you, Phil. You bet. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward for everyone out there to really get to know you a little bit in the time we have together. But uh, I, I imagine outside of some people may know that you're vice president of Lifesong for Orphans. Um, there's a lot, a lot about Andy Lehman that everyone uh, needs to know a little bit more about. So can you just share about who you are? Um, just a few, take a few minutes to do that. Yeah, you bet. My, uh, my wife, Jill, and I have been married over 18 years, and uh, we have four children from 8 to 16, uh, two through adoption. And so, yeah, it's been an incredible journey of just uh, being in this space many, many years ago when Jill and I were engaged and doing those walks and talks, and you're talking about the future. I remember God specifically laying on our heart that adoption or foster care uh, might be a part of uh, our, our married life together. And so that's been really special to watch that unfold. And um, my background actually was in uh, human resources at State Farm Insurance and, and love that. That was going well. But Jill and I had prayed over James one twenty seven. This is probably 15 years ago. So like we've got this verse memorized up on our fridge, but God, how do we live this out? And uh, mm. the beginning of living that out was... Uh, an opportunity to serve as house parents at a residential uh, group home in Indiana. And so we did that for a couple of years, thought I'd go back to State Farm. But uh, there's a Christian businessman named Gary Ringer who sold a business and wanted to start what is now Lifesong. And so that's been uh, over 13 years ago when we began, and it's been a privilege to advocate uh, ever since. So that's kind of a 
part of how we got to this place today. Yeah, and, and I know that Lifesong um, for Orphans does so many different things around the world. Did it start that way? Can you just give the little bit of background on, on what Lifesong does and uh, kind of where it's come from? Yeah, well, when we first began 13 years ago, it was primarily, it was solely just uh, helping bring down the financial barriers to adoption. And um, that was the beginning. But if you, what we are today and how we serve, if you can imagine a, a wheel and there's a hub in the middle of that wheel, that hub is the church, the body of Christ. And then the spokes around that hub are adoption, funding, orphan care, uh, foster care, family preservation, some economic development and creating self-sustaining enterprises and advocacy. So we do each of those spokes around the hub as a, as a way to mobilize and engage the church to engage in one or more of those areas. And so we try to create uh, relatively easy on-ramps to get started and then let the spirit lead in how uh, deep they want to go in advocating in each of those areas. So Lifesong kind of acts as, uh, like you said, it's a facilitator for people that want to get involved in these, in these various uh, ways through partnerships? That, that's exactly right. Yeah. So one of those ways that it, it could look like is we've helped about 5,000 children become adopted through grants and loans. Uh, and so these are children adopted into Christian families. And a lot of that has been through partnerships with churches who say we want to be intentional. And so we want to help set up an adoption fund and Lifesong helps administer and, uh, and manage that on behalf of the church. Or other ways are, you know, the high majority, as you know, Phil, of orphan and vulnerable children never will become adopted, certainly not internationally. And so how do we create in-country solutions for them uh, through creating sustainable businesses or through excellence in education? So we engage the body of Christ that have skill sets in those areas to help bring deeper and better care for orphans and vulnerable kids in each of the 12 countries that we serve in. Mm. And before we get into some of those specifics, I just want to really... I just want to hear from you a bit about uh, the collaboration side of things and just your, you know, what LifeSign does obviously involves a lot of collaboration. Can you just speak to the importance of that and maybe how you go about um, starting the partnerships that you, um, with the people and the organizations that you're collaborating with? Yeah, well, I'm, this is definitely a core DNA of LifeSong and as a part of Christian Alliance for Orphans that I was, had the privilege to be a part of from the beginning. And so this whole idea of leaving our logos and egos, it's not just a saying. It's a, it's something that's really important to us. And I, I think about, you know, I remember the story of the little boy in the, in the Gospels with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. He packs his lunch for that day, and everybody's wondering, how are these thousands going to be fed? But you know what he does? He gives his lunch away to Jesus, and then he gets out of the way. We actually never hear about that little boy again. Mm. But the awe and the wonder of what happened that day is still being talked about today. You know, God's abundance of baskets left over from feeding thousands. But what happened is this little boy who didn't seem to have much gave it away and got out of the way. And that's that's what we want to do within LifeSong, too. Whatever we have as contacts or resources or abilities, let's hand it over. Let's collaborate. Let's do this. We are better together uh, then separate. An example might be in, in uh, work we're doing in Haiti right now. You know, we have some skill sets in a few areas, but there's many of the things that we want to do in Haiti that we don't know how to do. And so there's a vocational skills training partner, a separate 
uh, nonprofit, 501c3, that we are partnering with to do a vocational skills training center in Haiti or on the sustainable business side. There are people that know how to do business better than we do as a nonprofit, and so we're engaging with that. And the more we do that and get out of the way, then the awe and wonder of what God's doing today will be talked about for generations. But more importantly, children will be in heaven because of that uh, for eternity. And that's, that's why we do it. Hmm. I know that uh, you talked about some of the different areas that you're working in, and I just kind of want to get into some of the specifics of that now. And um, can you just share a little bit about how LifeSong is working um, to improve orphan care and education uh, for uh, in various parts of the world? I know you have a school in Ethiopia and some other projects in different uh, parts of the world. Can you share a little bit about the specifics of the education and for the orphan and vulnerable children care that, that LifeSong is actually working hands-on in, in other parts of the world? Yeah, you bet. One of the areas that we feel like and we've seen are, are a gap is oftentimes there can be some education for the children in the younger grades, but um, often in, in junior high and high school ages, there's very little, and the likelihood of children completing a high school education is, in many of our countries, is you know 5% of those kids will actually complete a high school education. So we've really... So that's an area we want to help bridge that gap and, and create the right kind of high schools uh, for children to go into. But if they're going to be in high school as well, we want to make sure that there's the right kind of nurturing and discipleship. So actually, discipleship goes hand in hand with the education. We need to create a safe learning environment for our kids in those ages, but also a place where they're mentored and discipled uh, to really be transformed adults. And so, the, you know, whether it's the feeding program or the high school or the transitional living all those things work together. It's, it's uh, not any one thing. And we've seen the power of that in, in our kids' lives, especially the discipleship component. Do you have a story you could share a little bit with the, the audience, just a story of one kid that uh, maybe just kind of embodies what you're really trying to do and what Life Song's really working to do in these different parts of the world? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's hard for me to choose. But I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give an example of one. His name is Andre. And Andre uh, is a former orphan in Ukraine. And you know what he did recently this past Easter season? He, here he is. He's, uh, he's out of the orphanages now. He went through the transition homes. He worked on the self-sustaining businesses that we have started there. But what he did, he had a dream to place uh, billboards with scripture all over the city of Kharkiv, which is the second largest city in Ukraine. And uh, he really rallied several churches to support this idea. He helped put up 15 billboards in some of the most crowded places. And what he, he did is he believed in the gospel so much that he wanted everybody else to know what he knew. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know how God works to reach people for Christ through billboards. I don't know how effective that is, but I trust the Holy Spirit in that. But what I do know is this, that Andre believed in the gospel, the truth so much that he wanted everybody else to know that. And to me, that's an example of success when our kids are soundly saved and passionately serving others. That's an example that they've caught this gospel. They know who Christ is and they're reflecting some of his attributes in the way that they do life. Uh, there's many others. There's a young girl in in Zambia who uh, came to us from another organization that ministers to street girls and she had a terrible history of abuse and satanic worship and while experiencing some of our teaching through our 
our group Bible studies, her mind began to think and Satan's grips on her tightened as we entered into one of the darkest battles uh, that we've probably ever had. And so as a staff, you know, made a plan to as her episodes intensified, you know, the prayer, the scripture, the truth, the, the talking through that together with other believers intensified, too. And now she's at a point where she rarely battles that intensely because she's learned to apply the power of the word of God herself in those situations. And so it's just awesome to see that the word of God being sharper than any two edged sword and fighting some of those balance uh, challenges that they have. Yeah, and that, that uh, brings me just, it makes me think about when you're talking about these different children and how they are so different and in different parts of the world. But one of the things that you and I both hear a lot about, just because we're constantly uh, raising funds, we're constantly talking with donors and ministry partners, are success measures. H- how do you and Lifesong measure success when you're talking about these schools and the um, orphan vulnerable child care in other parts of the world? Yeah, well, wow, that's that's great. I mean, what our, our mission, uh, I guess we define our our success by have we accomplished our pledge? Our pledge is that our children will have the same things that I would want for my four children at home. You know, the basics of course of food, clothing, medical care and shelter, but much more than that with the the Christian training and discipleship and quality education and support as they transition into adult living where orphans are no longer creating orphans and, and really replicating that cycle. And so at the end of the day, this prayer that Jill and I pray for our four kids is the same level of success we have for the 5,000 kids that we serve. And that is we want them to be soundly saved, know the truth of the gospel, why they're saved, and then passionately serving others and uh, reflecting his graciousness and generosity and love through their life. And um, that, that, that's, that's what we look for. The Andres or the Moises, the, the stories I just shared are mm-hmm. great pictures of that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like a significant influence behind poverty is a lot of the religious beliefs, right? The components of witchcraft and voodoo and other things like that in many countries. And I, I think those false beliefs tend to keep people in a condition of dependency because the religion states that spirits control everything and there's a lot of hopelessness. I think that also breeds passivity and destroys a belief in what God really has created us for. And rather, God's endowed them with the ability and the responsibility to take care of themselves and their families, the ability to create, to innovate. And so uh, this, this area of discipleship is, is, I think, key and fundamental, even behind why poverty is such an issue. There's a lot of spiritual components to that that sometimes we overlook. Yeah, and with that, so what you're talking about, I mean, there's so much going on in African countries, in Eastern Europe, um, in Latin America, I mean, Southeast Asia with just different religions, different cultures, different issues going on. In, in Haiti, you see a lot of the voodoo and things going on there. How do you, you know, what's working as far as discipleship with the children? And and what are some of the limits that you've seen that, uh, you know, you have to really embrace and face when you're, when you're working to disciple these children? Yeah, well, th- that's great. And I, I would say, I bet our staff would say the same thing, that lasting discipleship is not really a program. So, like, there are some things I feel like we're doing well, but there's some things we can really improve on. But at the end of the day, it's not our program, It's but rather strong believers doing life with those people that we are 
discipling, right? It's the, it's the presence of meaningful relationship when that discipleship happens. And a lot of times we've seen that meaningful relationship happen in the context of transition homes. So where there's there are, you know, indigenous house parents modeling family, doing life together in the, you know, the mundane of chores or, or whether it's the, uh, the, the high moments of some of the spiritual battles we've talked about before. But those transition homes are really almost like spiritual greenhouses, an opportunity to escape the vortex of, you know, the slum village or the... Um, the harsh realities of life. And so that's been really, really special. But at the same time, some of the limits are that, you know, I think discipleship is really with the hardest component of ministry because it doesn't really ever end, right? It's kind of almost like after hours. It's on duty 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's, it's really exhausting to do it well, but that's where Real meaningful relationship happens with hard conversations late at night when you're exhausted and tired, right? Or it doesn't fit in an eight to five uh, deal. So I think that's the hardest thing is it can be challenging and exhausting. But uh, you know what? Christ's strength is made perfect, made complete in our weaknesses. And so when we run up to the end of ourselves, then, uh, then we know Christ's strength is, is going to carry us through. I think another area, though, is also how we've tried to engage with our kids. And I think this is important just for the orphan and vulnerable children, not to see themselves as such, but rather to um, think outside of themselves. So I, I you know, that saying that uh, hurt people tend to hurt others and blessed people tend to bless others. And so when we see orphan and vulnerable children thinking outside of themselves by going on mission trips, even saving their own money, earning their own money, saving it to do many mission trips in their community or a village that they came from. That's, that's huge for them to be serving others, and it debunks this whole entitlement attitude or mindset. And, uh, and then they feel like they have skin in the game, that they're, they're contributing, they're serving, not just always the ones receiving it. I think that whole idea of serving outside of ourselves is huge for children as they're transitioning and trying to break that orphan cycle. Yeah, and, and you know, it's something that anybody that's done this work knows exactly what you talked about. It's long-term. Discipleship is messy. It's relationship. It's as any other relationship is. It's it's tough, and it's going to take a long time. And, and I just want to real quick um, go into uh, the discipleship of adults in these same communities. So, you know, orphan and vulnerable child care, there's obviously adults that need to be a big part of it or else it's not going to work, right? So how are you and, and, um, and the work the LifeSong is doing working to disciple the adults in the communities as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, very, very good. I think one of the ways that we've tried to do this, so there's kind of reminds me of a quote Karen Purvis has said, that you cannot give what you do not have. And so for our teachers or house parents or staff, um, if they're going to be serving our kids, they cannot give what they do not have. One of the things that's rare sometimes in, our, in the cultures we serve in are healthy, strong Christian marriages. And so one of the ways we've helped to disciple them is bring family life's art of marriage to some of our caregivers, our farm staff, teachers, the guards. I mean, anybody on the staff. We want to make sure that they are being poured into and, and mentored as well. And so a lot of the feedback from our teams has been, wow, this is revolutionary. It's even helped save 
uh, save our marriage. Uh, we've heard that multiple times. So that's a key part of that, uh, as well as just having weekly fellowship and Bible studies together, um, having our staff visit other staff within their home and see how things are going at home, showing you care, um, teaching you know, Bible and teaching English and cooking lessons, those sorts of things that we can do together. That's where meaningful relationships happen. So we do that with the adults, the caregivers, the farm workers, the guards, anybody, because they're all part of our team. Right. Well, that's just, yeah, that's good stuff. And that's something that's so important to remember is it's, you know, caring for the children. Like you said, you can't give what you don't have. And I think that's so critical that we continue to pour into each other as the adults as well. Um, uh, you, you've alluded to the sustainable business and the importance of that. Um, why is sustainable business so important in the context of orphan care? And how is Lifelong doing it? How can other people um, actually make it work in, in a way that uh, is actually sustainable and is actually business in the context of a lot of these countries where we're working and where that's really hard to do? Yeah, it's a great question. We have not arrived. We do not have the, uh, the silver bullet on that. Uh, but what we do know is we see oftentimes a lot of financially poor people trading dollars with other financially poor people. And so one of the things we're trying to teach and model and create is how can we help our uh, partners, indigenous partners, to see where they can create value in business instead of just trading value. And so that, that's a key thing. And that goes back to if we view ourselves as God has created us with the ability to create, to innovate, to think outside the box, then there's some real opportunities there that can provide for them and their family, but can create profits to fund the school, transition homes, education, all that sort of thing. And so there's really six principles that we've kind of uh, begun to work through. One of them is just clearly defining our success. You know, sometimes our goal is to have profitability so that we can fund the operations of the school and the transition homes. But sometimes as successful, even if we can't create profits, if we can create jobs where there are caregivers that are able to preserve family, prevent orphans from happening, enhance dignity, then that's, that's huge. So sometimes, you know, we've created great profitable company in Ukraine that's a commercial strawberry farm business, and that's working well and, and on sustainability. But in Zambia, we're doing a similar sort of, of uh, business, but it's not as profitable, yet it's creating a lot of jobs. And so we still call that success either way. 93% of those employees are probably the sole breadwinner mm. for their family. That's huge, right? That's a huge win still, even if we're not creating operations funding. Yet we are, but it's going a little bit slower. So anyway, focusing on employment, and I think we need to know that returns are more than just financial, right? There's other things that are really important, but it's the second thing is to approach as a business. We need to understand the local market. There's, we can't just say, hey, we're doing business and it's for orphans, so God's going to bless it. You know, it's going to be profitable. We have to use all the typical business sense we would in any other environment. And part of that is to understand the local market. You know, most of the times in the countries we all serve, uh, that there's 80%, 80% of what is in the grocery stores at times are being imported. Hmm whether that's fruit or beans or honey. So what is currently being consumed in the country you work in that's being imported? And 
could we produce that locally? And for us, that, were, that was strawberries. Most strawberries are imported from neighboring countries. We can grow that locally, higher quality, fresher, less, less expensive, and so we have a market advantage. There's many other products, though. It doesn't have to be fruit. There's many other products. 80% of the grocery stores, you know, that's an opportunity for us to, as orphan care providers, to dig into that. Right. Yeah, and I think another thing about uh, approaching as a business is let's start small. You know, sometimes we as Americans lean towards overconfidence when we start a business maybe that we don't have a lot of experience in. And we might do that because we think, oh, how hard can it be? And this is, you know, there's overconfidence in our ability sometimes as Americans or Westerners and our indigenous partners maybe rely on us too much for that rather than let's have this be more collaborative. They have good ideas. Let's right. listen to that and not just uh, go in with overconfidence. Another part of that third thing is just to develop a strong team. These are people that have both, and I want to emphasize both, a head for business and a heart for ministry, both. Mm. Um, and you know, people in developing countries know that friendships with Westerners increase their personal prestige and ability to make money. And so we really have to confirm that the people we partner with have the skills and the attributes they claim to have. And I think we can test that integrity and responsibility by degrees and increase it gradually and then inspect what we expect. And that can be really successful. I think another thing about that is that we should do things with people and not for people and make mm -hmm. sure that the people we're doing this with actually have skin in the game, some level of financial involvement or risk or other types of involvement that keeps them motivated. And then uh, a fourth thing is just our relationships are key. You know, going back to how do we help with the caregivers of the adults, our farm workers, spending time with them multiple times during the week as a group that's not on the farm, but it's in fellowship and asking, asking the tough things or what's going on in their life and how we can help come alongside and them doing the same for us. That's, that's really important. Along with the relationships is also the right kind of advisors. So as we do commercial strawberry farming, LifeSong's not an expert in that, but we tap those people in the industry that are, and then they lend their skill sets. That's, uh, so for an example, a consultant comes visits our farm every six weeks and does um, some great analysis to help us keep a lid on things so that it doesn't get out of control and helps us maximize opportunities. So, you know, we don't think we're an end in and of ourselves. We're really going back to the collaboration. We need to see some of the other folks' um, expertise and listen to that. And then scaling that up, whatever works in one country, there's probably an application in some other countries. Not exactly one for one, but that fifth point is just scalable is better. And then uh, the sixth point is continue to develop training and capability to help some of our staff promote intellectual growth, right, in our indigenous yeah. workforce by providing educational advancement, driver's license, some of those things we take for granted that are huge um, assets to them. And then they can really be the leaders we want them to be in the first place when we help empower them. That is so much good stuff, and I know I've uh, sat in a uh, breakout session that goes into this a lot deeper. I also know you have some materials that you can uh, that you have online, and some other folks that uh, you know can can provide materials to people who want to go into this deeper. Can you share uh, where people can find that? Yeah, absolutely. LifesongforOrphans.org, and there's some robust information there on sustainable business and other things as well. We'd be happy to share anything and everything that we've learned. 
And I can speak from experience that Life Song is doesn't just talk about collaboration. It is a, a phenomenal uh, resource for people, and they are more than willing, and they get excited to share with others about uh, all this stuff. Um, and I can speak from personal experience on that one. Well, um, as we uh, get kind of into the, the home stretch here, uh, I want to share, I want to hear with you, you've, implicitly you've been talking about a lot of relationships with indigenous leaders. Um, you coming from the U.S. with different advisors, with different consultants, but really the, the lion's share of the work is being done by people on the ground in these countries. And I want to hear from you how we as Americans, as Westerners, can work with indigenous leaders in ways that don't cause destruction, but actually help create synergies and help enhance the work that they're already doing? And how can we empower these national leaders to um, just excel at the highest levels? Yeah, that's a great question. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that we need to listen better. And I, I need to listen better because they have incredible insights. And so I think that whole um, mantra of seek first to understand before you seek to be understood, Mm -hmm. I think is really important with our partners that we ask questions, ask a lot of questions and listen to them. Um, That's really important. And I think sometimes, you know, in the past, Westerners might have brought both some funding and some expertise, but you put those together and then that's, that almost spells control. And that's unhealthy for us as Westerners and unhealthy for our our indigenous friends. And so, you know, they may not have the funding initially, but we can, if we help with some of the funding and give them the right appropriate level of control, then we can still help be a part of together setting goals, setting boundaries, setting benchmarks for accountability. But at the end of the day, we want to surrender the control so that they have skin in the game. They have the risk, the opportunity um, for involvement and benefit that keeps them motivated. So I think we can help balance that by giving them more control. But I also feel like there's an opportunity where we can, let's keep our friends accountable as well. Sometimes I feel like in development work, there's a tendency not to hold our partners accountable because it's too harsh. And yet in any other business context or partnership context, there would be accountability. So why would we not let that be with whoever we're partnering with indigenously? And I think not encouraging accountability is a mistake. And in fact, we actually honor their commitments. We honor our partners when we have accountability together, mutual accountability. And so I think that's a key part that sometimes we get soft on um, because we don't want to appear too harsh. But at the end of the day, that helps everybody win and, and succeed. So I, and I think, you know, just discernment needed to know who is really serving other people versus who of our partners are have other agendas. And I think, you know, not relying on one person, but rather having a team of people helps for sustainability, staying power and, uh, and accountability as well. So that's another thing we found to be helpful. Yeah. And I, you, you hit it on it with the sustainable business. You also hit on it with this, uh, with the indigenous leaders is it doesn't, you know, we don't check, you know, principles and best practice principles at the door when we're doing this work and say, well, you know what, it's better than nothing, so let's just get whoever we can get to do this work. No, there is accountability. There are people who are brilliant that we need to find and we need to build up as we would anywhere 
that we're doing this work anywhere in the world, including in our own backyard. Is that kind of what you're saying here? That's exactly right. Well said. Yeah. And so, so, uh, do you have an example of one, um, man or woman that is leading somewhere around the world that I know that you have several stories, but can you just share one who is embodying these principles that you just, you just shared about, uh, what it really looks like to be a great leader and a great partnership that you have? Yeah, there's a gentleman named Moses, Amek and Moses, who uh, are on our team, the Lifesong Farms team in Zambia. And, uh, you know, when we actually first started our farm, we hired all um, men, but for different reasons, those men didn't work out, stole money, didn't show up for work, that sort of thing. But um, the women were incredibly dependable and reliable. And just over time, though, as uh, as we've worked together, we've had an incredible privilege to come across um, deeply committed men like Moses and Amek that are taking leadership roles as well alongside the women as well. And it's been fun to see kind of the redemption of that and how maybe uh, many, many uh, years ago, partnering with somebody and having them indigenously handle the, the money would have been a, a challenge now. These trustworthy men um, are doing it well and leading other men in their community to to do it right, not like the first men that that we hired. And I think, you know, the greatest example is always modeling it. And these men have done that, uh, men and women together. And so it's a beautiful picture. It's redemption where early on there were challenges and struggles. And now there's been a culture set by the indigenous people, not by Westerners. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, Andy, I, uh, I know we could talk all day about these issues and, and just uh, other stuff, but uh, we, we do have to wrap it up, and we will wrap it up as we always do with our uh, last couple questions for you. And uh, the first one is, what have you read or listened to in the past few months that has most impacted your thinking on the issues surrounding orphan care? Yeah, well, uh, two things come to mind. One is a book called Extreme Prayer, and it's not related to orphan care per se, and yet it so much is. So extreme prayer, uh, you know, I think as we make great plans for Orphan Sunday or organizations or our church or our nation, you know, but if we fail to pray doggedly, then I don't know if it's going to succeed without prayer. Oftentimes God's moved mightily when there's been considerable unified prayer. And, And I think God stands ready at our prayer times like a baseball player just waiting for the right pitch, and he longs for us to throw him a pitch that he can just hit out of the park. So when we pray specifically, pray persistently, shamelessly, seeking God's favor, um, that, that's been special for me as we think about advocating for our kids and vulnerable adults throughout wherever Lifesong serves. A second book is Demons of Poverty, which is really a fantastic uh, summary of one man's experience of 10 years of investing work into Haiti, millions of dollars, significant uh, partnership plans, that most of which did not come to fruition, but it's his lessons learned um, that are incredibly valuable. And I'm so thankful that he wrote some of those uh, down for all of us to learn from. So Demons of Poverty is the second book. Yeah, I, I get so excited to hear all these different great books, especially when I haven't read them because it uh, adds one to my list that I can dig into in this in this case, too. Um, last question for you, brother. Uh, what uh, one person has deeply impacted your thinking on how to best love and care for orphan and vulnerable children? 
That's hard to choose from, but the first one that comes to my mind is Gary Ringer, who is a Christian businessman and who helped start Lifesong for Orphans, but he, he and his wife Marla have modeled this so well in terms of being incredibly generous, but also using business skills for the kingdom and specifically for helping orphans and vulnerable children and preventing orphans by helping preserve families. And that the model of creating jobs, creating businesses, and care, caring in a way that's truly helpful has been highly impactful in my 13 years here at, at Lifesong. Well, thanks again, Andy. And, uh, you know, I just can't wait to see how this, uh, this, this conversation impacts people, impacts lives, impacts orphan care that's being done around the world. I just want to thank you for your great heart, your great mind, and the great work that uh, you are a part of. So thanks, brother. Oh, it's a privilege. Thank you for teeing up these most vital issues so that we can get better and uh, care more deeply for the kids that we're serving. Well, I hope you all got a great uh, taste during that conversation, during that interview on why I love working with Andy uh, so much and why I love working with Lifesong and the great work they are doing um, all around the world. So Kelly, what, what stuck out to you in that interview? Well, I love how he talked about indigenous people and just how they are um, really working alongside of uh, whatever culture they're in and, and just creating sustainable business by looking at what, what is a need that they can help fulfill and, and in that area and just how, you know, how they're the strawberry farming and because of having to bring those things in. And so that was a, that's a great business opportunity and, and they're working alongside of indigenous people. And so, you know, I know you and I've had conversations of just, you know, do you have business in the name of child labor or, you know, or is that and call it sustainable business or is it truly, you know, equipping kids and young adults to go out and be able to provide for themselves. Yeah, and that's, it's, it's, it always is a fine line. It's something that, and sometimes it's not a fine line, sometimes it's just obvious of what it is, but I, I do think that that's, the sustainable business, I mean, work is such a great place for lessons, and it's such a part of who we are, is to work. You know, we know that. And yeah, the fall happened and work became a chore or whatever, but work is intended to be something that we are created to do to bring to help the world have uh, flourish and to bring flourishing to ourselves and those around us. And so I, I love what Lifesong's doing in these different projects. Um, and you know, I, I know too, the one thing about, uh, not the one thing, but one of the things about Andy that I love is, well, a couple of things. One is just his soft-spoken nature. Just he's, He just has that way to just put you at ease in a conversation. But beyond that, he is a storyteller. He is able to tell stories and he has so many. And why does he have so many? It's because he has great relationships with these people, right? And it is such a great lesson for us to develop these relationships so that we can um, really dive into them and understand them. And then that way we know what type of work they're able to do. We know what their hopes and dreams are so we can train them up. So if there is a self-sustainable business going on, we know whether this child really wants to do this work or if it's something that they are doing to learn other life lessons that we can train them up in other work to be able to do. I just think of the word honor and how, you know, we're bringing honor 
to the Father, number one, and how we are living our lives and how they're coming alongside um, just children at a base level, but also just coming alongside um, people and and really highlighting things that they can do uh, for their communities and for the children that are in their communities, but also for ultimately to share the gospel. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of, um, of the work that Lifesong is doing. I agree with you completely on that. And I think that is a great place to uh, stop today. And I just want to thank everyone out there again for joining us, for downloading this episode, and for engaging this conversation with us. So until next time, have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.